Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, as we've been working through the book of Jonah. And uh, this uh, chapter 3 is an amazing thing because this is uh, the most, uh, it, probably the most fantastic uh, revival that ever took place uh, on, the, on earth. And, and uh, so, exciting chapter. And what I wanted to do is as we go through this, I just wanted to bring out some points regarding revival because this is a, an amazing revival and I think there's things that we can glean uh, from this chapter, chapter 3. And so... Let's begin with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. One of the first things that we talked about, one of the last things we talked about last week was, you know, Jonah got delivered from the whale. He's on the, he's on the beach there. And, uh, you know, we talked about his prayer in chapter 2. And, and uh, what I said last week was I wasn't 100% convinced that Jonah was uh, a changed person at this time. He had been delivered. He had thanked the Lord for his delivery. But as we get to chapter 4, we're going to look at his heart. And his heart doesn't seem to be in the right place. And so here, the Lord is telling Jonah the second time. And last week we said, you know, uh, why, if, if his heart had been changed, why did he have to be told twice to go to Nineveh? And so, so, uh, so Jonah here is, uh, is on the beach. He's being told to go the second time. And uh, from Jonah's perspective, it's like, he, you know, it's like the Lord's reminding him again to go. But from God's perspective, what I think is really cool in here too is that God gives Jonah a second chance. And I think that's really, really awesome because sometimes, you know, we might think that God can't use us anymore because, you know, we've disobeyed, we've, we've, we've failed in some way or not. And, and, and so, um, but God gives us those second opportunities. And he gave Jonah this second chance to go to Nineveh. And it's not that God needed Jonah to preach the word. It's not like God can't minister uh, without Jonah, but God wants to use Jonah. And God wants to use you and I as well in this day and this age to reach people around us. And so he told, tells Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And that's all Jonah had to do. He just had to go forth and share the message that God had given him. And so verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And so what a beautiful thing. Jonah's obeying at this point. He's going to Nineveh. And it says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And by the way, you know, in my mind, I always thought, you know, Jonah's puked up onto some beach somewhere, and he gets up and he walks into Nineveh. It's actually about... 560 miles as the crow flies from Israel to uh, Nineveh, the lo location of Nineveh, which today is in, uh, it's the ruins of it is right next to uh, the city of Mosul, Iraq. And that's where um, Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh was. And it says it was an exceedingly great city, 
a three-day journey in extent, and they've uncovered the the uh, the city of the ruins of Nineveh, and it was a large city, um, uh, twenty feet or excuse me, twenty miles. It's kind of like a parallelogram, uh, rectangular, twenty twenty feet. Or, keep saying twenty feet, twenty miles wide and about sixty miles. Excuse me. 40 miles long, and it's about 60 miles in parameter, if I remember right. I don't have my notes in front of me, so. But, um, and according to calculations, it was about 174,000 people that would be living within these city walls. But if you get to chapter 4, and in chapter 4 it talks about the fact that there are 120,000 people that I can't discern between their right hand and their left hand. And myself included and a lot of other people think that this refers to children that can't discern. And so 120,000 children, um, if you were to do the math out, it would seem like there'd be probably about 600,000 uh, population. And so yet they look at the city walls and they go, you know, it's, it's impossible that there could be 600,000 people living within the city walls. But what they have discovered is that a good large portion of the population lived actually outside of the city walls. And so it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't take away from the scriptures there. So it was a three-day journey in extent. Verse 4, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. Just, there's no hope in his message. There's no, you know, God loves you and he wants, to, he wants you to repent and turn from your sins. It's just judgment. And it's just basically eight words of judgment. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet, verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The people believed from that simple eight Eight-word message of judgment. And that's one of the things that we need to realize with when it comes to what God wants to do as far as a revival is that God, uh, you know, don't never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to someone. And that's exactly what, what happened here. You know, Jonah is not telling them about God's love. He's telling them about their sin, basically, and his judgment on them. And, you know, that's one of the things that uh, is important to understand about revival is that revival, you know, we have this in, in our minds that revival is just, it's when, you know, we're overcome with God's love and his joy and, you know, maybe we have really good worship music and that's, that's revival. When we have something like that, that's revival. The reality is revival is always associated with people mourning for their sin and for repentance it's weeping. That's what, that's what brings revival. So then the joy and the peace and the love and the good worship music, that's the fruit of revival. That's not the catalyst for revival. Revival is when people mourn for their sins and repent. And this is exactly what happened in the city of Nineveh with the people, the Ninevites. And you know, the Ninevites were a very wicked people, and they were a very violent people. So we looked historically, and I showed about last week, you know, they, they, they were like the ISIS of their days. And yet here, you know, you, the most wicked, the most violent people are repenting based on eight words of judgment. So never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to convict and to convince someone to come to faith. 
And so the next thing with revival or with repentance anyways is that there's usually, if you look at repentance in a person's life, there should be some kind of fruit or some kind of evidence of repentance. And we see that here with the people with the Ninevites. It says that they, in verse 5, they proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. A fast is basically denying yourself eating for a period of time, maybe drinking as well. And, and the purpose for it is basically, you know, you're, you're seeking the Lord. And, you know, the comforts of, of eating and the comforts of, uh, it's, it's a necessity, we need to eat and drink. But you, you basically setting that, side, uh, setting that apart for a period of time so that you can seek the Lord. That's what fasting is. And so they were fasting and they put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth in those days was made out of goat's hair, and it was, it was a black, heavy goat's hair. Uh, it would have been very uncomfortable to wear. Um, and, you know, it, it'd be similar to putting, like, burlap, just having burlap clothing on your, on your bare skin. wouldn't be very comfortable. Well, this is what uh, sackcloth was in those days. And so, again, it's setting aside all the comforts Everything that felt comfortable and everything that basically, you know, you, you, you indulge yourself in during the day or whatever, it's setting that all aside. And what's most important is mourning over your sin and seeking the Lord. And you, you know, when someone, you'll have a loved one passed away, man, you know, everything just goes out the window. You know, it's like, I don't care about eating. I don't care about drinking. I don't care about anything. I don't care about what I'm doing today. I'm just mourning over the loss of a loved one. And some of you have experienced that. That's what mourning over sin is like. I don't care about anything else. I'm setting it aside and seeking the Lord. That's sincerity. And so this is what the people did. They mourned over their sins, and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. I think it's kind of interesting, too, because sometimes when you think about it, you know, what have, what would have, who would have been the least? Well, I would think it would be the poor. Maybe it would have been uh, those that... Uh, you know, insignificant. Maybe there were slaves in the city of Nineveh, and they had kind of a bad life anyways, right? Because they don't have anything. And I could see, you know, the poor, the downtrodden, the people without hope, they're going to turn to the Lord. You know, I, I can understand that. But the greatest, that would be the wealthiest, the most influential, the most powerful people, they are repenting as well from the least to the greatest. Again, that's the power of the Holy Spirit to convict a person. And so the people proclaim this fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then verse 6, Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So, you know, here's the people. They're doing this. The king gets word of it. He hears, hey, there's this guy traveling through Nineveh, preaching this message of, of God's judgment on the nation. And, and maybe he looks out his window and he sees all these people mourning, and it convicts him as well. And of all the people that you would think, oh, he's not going to repent, man, he puts aside his, clean, you know, his garments, his, whatever his robes were and stuff, and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. And again, you know, sometimes we, we look at someone, maybe there's someone that you're, Maybe a coworker or a family member or someone you come into contact with and you go, man, I, I could never see them coming to faith in the Lord. They, they're the last person that would repent and turn to the Lord. And yet, again, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit because 
those, that person that you might think is the least likely to come to the Lord, God can get a hold of them as well, just like he can get a hold of anybody else. And so the king here himself uh, arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then in verse 7 it says, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the Lord, excuse me, by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence that is in his hands. Who can tell? If he will turn and relent, if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So here these people are, they're, they're mourning, they're, they're weeping, they're putting on sackcloth and ashes, they're fasting, they're grieving over their sin. And it's kind of, almost it's kind of humorous to me because it's like the king says, okay, let's make a proclamation that everybody do it. Well, the thing is, the people were already doing it. And, but the king himself is doing it, which is awesome, which is great. But it's like, why are you putting a decree out when the people are already doing it? And that's one of the things that I think is kind of cool about this revival is that it was basically a grassroots revival. It started with the individual. And I don't know about you, but I know myself, I talk about revival. I pray that our nation would have a revival. I pray that the Lord would get a hold of the hearts of people. I pray that our government, our president, you know, the people that are in, in, in leadership, that they'll come to faith in the Lord. But the important thing is, revival has to start here with you and with me in my heart. It has to begin with us before we can even start worrying about anybody else. And so, but the king makes this proclamation. And what's interesting there, if you notice at verse 7, he says, let, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything or let them eat or drink water. He's telling the animals to fast. It's like, what? You know, that's like, what is an animal? Why does an animal have to fast? They have no, no consciousness of sin or anything like that. And what I think about is, if you've got to remember, these are pagans. They don't know scriptures. And they're basically doing what they understand in their limited knowledge. They're saying, man, everybody, everything is going to weep and mourn over their sins. And, you know, we may go, you know, it doesn't make sense, but to me... That's just a sign of the sincerity of their repentance. You know, it's kind of funny. We, we do, uh, well, we have done, we haven't done it for a number of years now, but we had a motorcycle ministry with the flood run, which is, uh, it's, a, it's a run that would go up and down uh, the Mississippi River, and we would set up a, a, a kind of a little booth on the, at this one property, and as the bikers were to come, we'd feed them. And, uh, uh, you know, just greet them and stuff, give them free food. And one of the things that would frequently, and I didn't actually advertise for it, but one of the things that would frequently do is a biker would come up and go, hey, I want you to bless my bike. And I go, man, I'd love to bless your bike. And so, you know, I start praying with them, and I pray about their motorcycle. And I, but, you know, as I'm praying about their motorcycle, pretty soon I'm praying about them. And I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying that the Lord get a hold of their hearts. I could care less about them. And I love bikes. I ride a motorcycle. I care less about their bikes. But what's more important to me is their soul. But you see, that's their understanding. They just want their bike blessed. We had one biker that would come by, and it was pretty funny. He's a rough-looking guy, and he would always, he'd show up every year. 
And he'd always bring friends with him. And the last time we did, he came and he goes, this is my pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I only see you like once a year. <laughs> you know? And I bless your bike. And yet he considered me his pastor. It's just, it's, yeah, it's an amazing thing. And so when I look at these people and, and uh, what they're doing, I, all I see is sincerity. They don't have a full understanding, but man, they just want to turn to the Lord and repent. And so the other thing that the king does is he basically declare, declares a prayer meeting and tells the people to cry out mightily to the Lord. You notice that he doesn't tell them what to pray. He just says, cry mightily to the Lord. And I know sometimes we can get this attitude. It's like, you know, um, I, I don't, I'm not much of a prayer warrior. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say when I pray. And sometimes we kind of shy back from praying. Because, like, I, you know, I don't use the flowery words or, or I don't use, you know, the correct, maybe I don't have my doctrine totally straight or, or you know, I, I have a hard time praying in King James, old King James, you know, thou, Lord, forgivest thou my sins, you know. And we, and we have this attitude, it's like we can't pray. But, you know, throughout the Bible, there's people throughout the Bible that just simple prayers, just crying out to the Lord. I think about the leper. He just said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. God responded to him and healed him. The, the blind men, you know, son of David, have mercy on us. And God had mercy on him. And Jesus Christ healed them of their leprosy. I think of the publican. Remember the guy that was in the, the temple, the Pharisees praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, you know, I tithe and I do all these great things and I'm thankful I'm not like these sinners. And, and there's this publican, the, the, this tax collector is what a publican, not a republican, he was a publican, a tax collector. <laughs> And, and he's in the back there, and he wouldn't even barely lift his head up to the Lord. And he's crying out and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And God said he went away from that place justified. You know, it's just these simple prayers. I think about the man on the cross, the thief on the cross. What did he pray? You know, he didn't, he didn't have this whole thing where he didn't say the sinner's prayer and, and, and have the whole gospel explained to him. He just said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So sometimes we get this attitude, you know, I, 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 don't, I can't use the big words when I pray. Well, don't use the big words when you pray. I can't use King James. Don't use King James. Just pray what's in your heart. Cry mightily to the Lord. And that's what these people did. They cried mightily to the Lord. They had a prayer meeting. You know, it's, the other thing too is, Verse 9, when you look at it, if you think about it, they had no hope that God was even going to, you know, it's not like Jonah said, if you repent of your sins, God's going to deliver you. There's no hope there whatsoever. It's basically God's judging you. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. They had no hope, and yet here they are praying to the Lord and saying, maybe, maybe God will turn and relent, just crying out. In verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. That's an amazing thing. This is one of the most amazing stories of, of repentance and revival in the nation here. When I, when I look at that, I think about Jonah. If you think about Jonah's heart, and, and I mentioned this at the very beginning, that I'm not 100% sure, and I know some commentators would disagree with me. They, they say, you know, Jonah prayed a prayer of repentance, and, and the Lord restored him. And 
I think personally Jonah was just praying, thanking the Lord for delivering him from the whale. Because when we get to chapter 4, it seems like his heart's still not really soft towards the people that he is sent to go. And he had to be told a second time to go. And you think about the Ninevites. They had no hope. They had Jonah. Now Jonah, you know, he's, he obeyed the Lord. He, he did what the Lord said. But was his heart in it at all? I think he was thrilled to just pronounce judgments. <laughs> God's going to destroy you, you wicked people. Because he hated them. And yet, the people believed and repented. And Jonah just spent, you know, when you think about that, okay, so Jonah, and at the end, we get to chapter 4, Jonah's going to climb up onto a mountain and wait for God to destroy them, hoping that God's going to wipe them out. And I think about, that reminds me of when Jesus, remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives? He came through Jerusalem on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. He went up onto the Mount of Olives and he's looking over the city. You know what Jesus did? He wept over the city. He said, if you had only known that this is the day that makes for your peace, He's weeping. Jonah wasn't weeping. And yet the people repented. People of Jerusalem, they didn't repent. Jonah was only three days basically there in in Nineveh. Basically just pronouncing judgment for three days. And that's his own eight eight words. Yet 40 days and God's going to destroy Nineveh. Jesus, on the other hand, what did he do? He spent three years in and around Israel, sharing about the mercy of God the Father, sharing about the kingdom of heaven that would come, healing the sick, you know, healing the, 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 those that had diseases and different things, teaching them about the love of God. Spent three years doing that, performing miracles and mighty signs. And after three years, now there are some people that came to faith in the Lord, but the majority, by and large, they didn't come to faith in the Lord. What, what an amazing difference when you think about this. And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. When you read that, sometimes you go, you mean God changes his mind? It, you know, it's, it's like, I thought, you know, God wasn't like that. And yet, this is exactly what God does. It's not inconsistent with God's nature and his character. God, you know, when we look at at the time, the delay for judgments and things, God doesn't judge things on a a chronological time scale. You know, his his judgment is based on morality. And and he looks at people's hearts. You know, for 400 years, um, for 400 years, the land of Canaan, you know, the Israelites were in Egypt, and, uh, and God was waiting for them, for the Canaanites to repent. And they never repented. He was waited 400 years, and then the wickedness became so great, and he had the Israelites come in and, and basically destroy the Canaanites because they wouldn't repent. God knew their heart. Well, God saw their hearts here. You know, that's, God's heart is that people would turn from their sin and repent. The Bible says in Second Peter, that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we look and we go, what did God change his heart? I thank the Lord that God changed his heart, that God actually, uh, he didn't repent, that he relented from that that he would do. And I think that's just God's heart and his nature, because God's heart is 
for revival. And uh, God's heart is for revival for you and I as well this morning. You know, he wants you and I to seek him. And I think about all these things that the Ninevites did. You know, the things that they went through, the, 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 the mourning, the fasting, they were so sincere for the Lord. And sometimes I look at my own life, you know, and I go, you know, I, I'm not that sincere sometimes. Sometimes I just rattle off a prayer, even without thinking sometimes. It's just kind of a habitual thing. Oh, that the Lord would get hold of our hearts, that we would cry out mighty to the Lord, that we would say, you know, seeking you, Lord, is more important than even my daily food, and that we would take those times to fast and to seek and to pray and seek the Lord. And I also pray that for you and I, that our hearts would be toward those in this world around us. You know, sometimes it's, it's, we look at people and we go, I, I just don't, I, I don't think they're ever going to, you know, I don't know that they're ever going to come to faith in the Lord. But the Holy Spirit can get a hold of people's hearts. Back in Jonah uh, chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus said, Arise and go to Nineveh. And if you recall, that sounds a lot, a lot like the Great Commission, right, in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus said, go into all the nations and make disciples of all nations. You know, when it comes to revival and when it comes to you and I reaching out into this world, there's still this arising and going that needs to take place. And it may not be for Jonah, he had to go 560, 560 miles roughly. You know, so he literally had to go to another place. And there are people today that get called to go into the ministry, to go into become missionaries, to go to a foreign land, and, and God still does that. But, you know, for each one of us, God still wants us to rise and go in the sense that we get up and go from where we're at. Maybe it's our comfort zone. You know, maybe it's just coming, getting up and making, making a phone call. Or, or ministering to someone, reaching out, visiting someone, or striking up a conversation with them. You know, sometimes we think, you know, God's just going to bring people here to me, and then I'll just wait. And when they come, I'm going to share the word. It's, it's, I, one time I had a, uh, a marriage counseling session. God does do that, by the way, sometimes. I'll give you two examples. One time I was having a, a, a guy call me up and said, hey, um, I've got some marriage problems, and man, will you meet with me and do some counseling? I said, absolutely. And so he came to the church, and uh, I said, okay, well, let's talk about your thing. And he said, wait a minute. He goes, before we talk about anything, I need to pray to receive Christ as my Savior. <laughs> and I said, you know what? How about you're about halfway done with, <laughs> about with your marriage counseling. I said, you know, we're, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And so I was able to pray with him to accept Christ. And later on, he got baptized. And so I was just like, man. That was easy, Lord. Thank you. I wish you'd bring more like that. And one time, I was, Teresa and I were here on a Wednesday night. Uh, I think it was a Wednesday night. Maybe it was a Thursday night. But anyways, we were here late at night, like 10 o'clock at night. And it was just her and I. Um, I was actually, there's a little, well, the sound booth is, there's actually a little cubby hole down there. And there's equipment down there. And I had crawled under there to get something. Teresa was in the back doing something. I come out, and there's this guy standing there I had never seen before. He's just standing there. And he goes, uh, uh, I'm lost. 
And of course, spiritually, but I mean, he was physically lost, literally. And the guy was all confused, and apparently he does everything by his cell phone, and his cell phone had died, and he couldn't figure out where he was in town. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I was talking to him. He scared the daylights out of me when I came out of there. But So I'm talking to him, and I'm, I'm like, you know what? It would be easier for me if I just give you a drive to where you're going. I'll just take you there. And he's like, you do that? And I go, absolutely. I said, just give me a couple seconds. I've got to shut off lights and close. And I told my wife, said, you know, um, I don't know. How, did we bring you home? I don't remember what happened. Anyways, uh, I brought him to a place. And I'm driving him to his house. And he says, I, I, I said, where's it at? And he said, well, I think it's here. We finally found it. And he says, hey, would you pray with me? I just need some prayer. I'm like, oh, absolutely. You know, God does do that. He gives us those opportunities. I love when the Lord does that. But that's, not, that's kind of like the exception to the rule. God wants you and I to minister and reach out to others. I had a friend that passed away not too many years ago, or actually, I think it was last year. Um, lives up in Bemidji. Old guy. Looked like the Marlboro Man, if you know what the Marlboro Man looked. It was just a rugged-looking cowboy guy. And uh, he would uh, get on his horse, literally, get on his horse, and he would go cross-country on horseback, and he would, he would reenact the uh, circuit rider preachers that would go from town to town in the turn of the century and share the gospel with people. And so he would do that. And, of course, people see this guy riding through, and he had the garb on and everything. Like, who is this guy? And so he would have meetings there at different towns and stuff. And uh, I became good friends with him, and uh, I've seen him in action. This guy also hiked the All Appalachian Trail. And his purpose for doing all these things was just to share the love of the Lord. But the cool thing about it was the way he did it. He was just he would just start talking with someone and he would basically I mean you could have a real rough attitude and he would just I could just watch people melt in front of him because he just conversationally talked with people. He was just real soft-spoken, and he would just disarm people and he'd start talking about interests and stuff, and pretty soon he's talking about the Lord. And, and I thought, man, that, that's cool. All of us can do that. I go with my wife places, and one of the things that she always does, she sees someone, they get into a conversation, she always says, hey, can I pray for you? And, you know, most people won't say, no, 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 don't pray for me, you know, unless, unless they're, well, I've never had anyone say, don't pray for me. But mostly, mostly, and they, maybe they have no faith at all. Maybe they're atheists, but they're like, yeah, okay, you can pray for me. And then again, man, you get to, you get to pray, and, and the kingdom of heaven is touching these people when you're doing that. These are things that we can all do. And so here Jonah did that, and you and I can do that as well. And I just want to leave you with a couple of things, and that is don't be afraid of what you're going to say. God told Jonah, Jonah, I'm going to give you the words to say. And so Jonah just basically, again, eight words of judgment. You and I, we've got more than just judgment. And I hope you're not going around just saying, you know, God's going to destroy you. We have God's word. And, you know, the entire Bible is there for you to grow, to learn. And as you read the Word of God, and I, I pray that you're reading the Word of God on a daily basis, you're getting to know the heart of the Lord. You're getting to know what the Lord loves. You're getting to know how the Lord feels about sinners. I, I know how the Lord feels about sin. Well, how does the Lord feel about sinners? He said, I, I came to this world to save sinners. He wasn't there to condemn anybody. He's there to save people. And so as you and I read God's word, we understand his heart. And as we understand his heart, you know, I would encourage you, read God's word, 
meditate on it, get God's word into you. Because once it's in you, it comes out when you're in your conversations. I, you know, we have no problems, you know, sharing what we're passionate about. If you're passionate about, maybe, maybe there's this new product that you tried. You know, hey, I got this new underarm stuff, and you wouldn't believe it. This is awesome, you know. <laughs> Actually, someone did share that with me once. But, <laughs> but you know, you, there's some product or something, and you're, you're just, you're amazed with it, and it's really changed your life. And what do you do? Man, I'm going to tell some people about it. And we do that because we're passionate about that. Or you're into a real hobby or, a, or something that you're, in, you, you know, you're just all into it. Man, you have no problem sharing that with people. But then when it comes to the Lord, we're like, oh, man, I don't know if they want to hear that. Man, if the Lord lays on your heart to speak to someone, just share. And don't worry about what you're going to say. It's good to have God's word in you because the Holy Spirit's going to bring it out as you're sharing you know, it was one time I was in a, uh, doing a Bible study in the county uh, adult detention center here in town. And it was uh, in the evening. And uh, I was in the common area. If I, if, anybody here been to jail? No, I'm just kidding. Um, they're, they're in their own cells, but they have this common area. And, and then I was in this common area, and these, the guys are just kind of milling around. And there's, you know, a couple guards just kind of standing there with them and stuff. And uh, this Muslim guy comes up to me. And he just gets like an inch from my face. And he looked like he was ready to kill me. He's like, he's like, you mean God has a son? And to this day, I don't remember what I said. And I remember out of the corner of my eye seeing this guard. And when this guy got up to my face, the guard went, like, he was like, okay, I'm going to, if this guy, if this guy starts, you know, I'm going to stop him. I could see it. You know, I could just see him kind of moving, and he was getting really close. I wish I could remember what I said, because I'd love to say that again to some other Muslim person. that I, remember. I can't remember a word of what I said, but I do remember this. Whatever it was I said, I watched this guy. It just totally diffused the situation. The guy just kind of went and walked away. I wish I could remember that, but you know what? That's the Holy Spirit speaking. I'm not that sharp. I'm really not. Believe me. That was the Holy Spirit speaking through us. So, you know, don't get too uptight about, well, I got to, you know, it's good to understand how to share the gospel with people. It's good to understand the plan of salvation, the Romans road, whatever, however you use, uh, you know, as you share with people, it's good to understand that. Uh, it's important to understand that you want to give someone an accurate uh, understanding of coming to faith in the Lord. But don't get just, you rely on that, man. Allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you because he will do that. Because that's God's heart to save people, to, to, to reach the lost. And, you know, I always think about this. Um, you know, when, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, you, you pray to receive the Lord and uh, all of a sudden, poof, you're out of here. You're in heaven. Because, I mean, you did it. You, 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 you accepted the Lord. Now you've, you know, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. And he takes you there right there. That'd be awesome. God doesn't do that. He, now, there is going to be a generation you know, the, the age of the Gentiles, the age of the Gentiles, the Bible talks about that, that there, there's going to be one person who's the last person to accept Jesus Christ before he returns for his church. There's that, there's that one person. They get the door prize, basically. You know, it's like, you did it, and poof, we're out of here. But right now, that hasn't happened. You're accepting Christ, and we're still here. Why are we here? We're here because Jesus Christ, the Lord God, wants you and I to minister to those around us. 
to reach those around us. Man, I pray that we'd have a revival like, like we saw here in Nineveh. By the way, it was that generation because about 100 years later, Nineveh will be destroyed. You can read about it in the book of Nahum. They, they went back to their wickedness. Now, that generation repented. Jesus even told the Jews um, in, in, in Matthew, he said, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up at the judgment and condemn you. I'm paraphrasing. They're going to condemn you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and a greater than Jonah is here. That's an amazing thing. It's God's heart. God's heart is for revival. His heart is that none perish, but that all come to repentance. And so for you and I as believers, man, I would pray, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well, that our hearts would be turned towards the Lord, we'd be in God's word, have words, God's word in us, and that we would just be, our hearts would be, our eyes would be open to those around us, and we would be willing to arise out of our comfort zone and go and minister to those around us. Let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer as we leave here this morning. Father, I thank you for your people here this morning. I thank you for bringing each and every person here, Lord. I pray that as they leave here, Lord, I pray that, Lord, your word would just penetrate their hearts, and, Lord, it would carry them through this day and through this week. And, Lord, that you might give us divine opportunities, Lord, to share your love with those around us. Lord, may you open our eyes this week to see the needs of those around us. Lord, may we be willing to take that step, take that initiative to share your love with those. And Lord, we leave the results up to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one that convicts, convinces, and brings people to faith. And so, Lord, we just want to be your vessels and your instruments this week. And I thank you for your people. I pray your blessing upon them this day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. We have some uh, coffee and goodies in the back. I encourage you to hang out and fellowship. You're dismissed.